0: Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keane with David Gurra. Daily, we bring you insight from the best of economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg.
1: I'm here in New York in our Bloomberg 1130 studios. My colleague Tom Keane is in Washington, D.C. He is at the headquarters of the International Monetary Fund for the annual meetings of the IMF and the World Bank. And Tom is scheduled to speak with one of the hosts of that event. Now, let's go to Washington and to Tom.
0: And we welcome all of you on Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio, particularly worldwide. The 189 countries of the World Bank listening and watching this morning. With Dr. Jim Young Kim, he's, of course, the president of the World Bank. It's been five years. What was the biggest surprise over five years? You moved from Dartmouth to the World Bank, this gigantic bureaucracy, almost as bad as hurting the cats and the faculty at Dartmouth. What's been the biggest surprise over five years?
1: You know, uh, Tom, first of all, thanks for having me back on. And for me, the biggest surprise is just how powerful financial tools are in fighting poverty. I mean, I I had some sense of them, but I didn't know that the combination of, of, of leverage and swaps and hedges and and uh, political risk insurance and guarantees, how powerful the those instruments! Investment. Absolutely, yeah. you know. And so, so I had to learn both macroeconomics and finance. But in learning right. those those two. The the tools that the rich use every day to make themselves wealthier are just as useful in trying to lift people out of poverty. This tells me that you should have taken a few
0: more courses of Tuck in your free time up at Dartmouth. Let me go to a new project of the World Bank, which has my attention, because I look at the mystery of a decline in productivity uh, within the major countries, including the United States. And this goes back to Dale Jorgensen at Harvard, which is human capital, the idea of a human capital project. That's translated to the World Bank in what way? What does human capital mean?
1: So we use the term human capital because we want to be very clear that this is a huge part of the wealth of nations. We're we're writing a report now called The Changing Wealth of Nations, where we show that in fact human capital uh, in terms of overall wealth is more than 60% of the existing wealth in the world. And so what we wanted to do was to really take a hard look at the connection between uh, health outcomes, not health expenditures, health outcomes and educational outcomes. Not years of schooling alone, but whether you're actually learning things, and then do regression to look at uh, uh, the correlation with growth over the last 25 years. So we we found that it's far more powerful than we ever thought. Using very sophisticated methods, the same methods that Google and others use to do searches, uh, we used uh, we found that if you look at the top 25% of countries that have improved human capital and the bottom 25% who've not, over a 25-year period it's 1.25% of GDP per year. Mm -hmm. Now that is only going to get more powerful going forward as the Economies become more digitized so for us you know well. the, the countries themselves decide what loans they want to take and what we found is that they're not focusing enough on investing in human beings right. health education as drivers of economic growth.
0: And I'm going to rip up the script here this is so important with Dr. Kim and this will go to our conversation with Madam Lagarde in a, bit, a minute your unique tension with the Trump administration because what you're seeing is a widening inequality in education and the opportunities that are out there and you have an administration. In America, your largest donor, which is really pushing back against your projects.
1: Well, uh, in fact, though, to, to just on Saturday, we're launching a major project with the Trump administration. So we've is been, this is the Women's Entrepreneurship Financing Initiative. This is an idea that was actually brought to me uh, by Ivanka Trump, and she wanted to do something that would support women entrepreneurs in developing countries. And so we did about four months of fundraising, and it was the fastest fundraising we've ever seen, $350 million from 15 countries. So Mrs. Trump is going countries. to join the
0: board of the World uh, no, Bank no, and no, tell no, you what
1: to do. not at all, not at all. So what, what, uh, what Ivanka told us is that She doesn't want to have anything to do with the running of the fund. That will go through our usual channels. But she's going to be a mentor. She's going to actually provide mentoring uh, to women in developing countries who are trying to start their businesses. And so that's, you know, we we have found lots of different ways. We're talking to them about infrastructure. We're talking to them about various approaches to to, to private sector development to to tackle difficulties. And so we're we're working.
0: A surveillance correction. I said Mrs. Trump, and I should have said Mrs. Kushner. I'll be in (laughs) trouble. Let's switch to something serious. And this goes to the heart of your expertise. Most of our viewers and listeners don't know that you and your team in the 90s changed the dialogue on tuberculosis. I would suggest you've never gotten the credit for that, that you should, that you changed the way we handle this horrific disease worldwide. Now bring it forward to refugees and migrants and we can take any nation, but Myanmar is really front and center right now. Tell me about the linkage of the World Bank and health and this horrific new thrust
1: of refugees and migrants. uh, you know, One of the things that the Human Capital Project will show is that countries uh, don't invest in their people at their great peril. If they, if they refrain from investing in their people, if they find excuses, if they say they're going to spend money on other things, it is at their great peril. Right? And so the situation for refugees is that if we don't invest in the health and education of refugees. We also do so at our own great peril, because the, the the young people who don't have a chance, who are not educated, who cannot compete in the digital economy of the future. I worry that they're going to become the nidus of fragility, conflict, violence, extremism. So we have to step forward. Now, to go back to what I've been doing in the past, for 20 years, we've been arguing that, oh, we need more grant money, we need more donor uh, financing. And that's all been great. What we're doing now with the Human Capital Project Mm -hmm. is to say, look, heads of state, look, ministers of finance, we're going to put out a ranking about where you stand in terms of your stock of human capital and what you're doing to increase the flow, increase, increase your human capital and, and where you come out on this list may very well determine okay. how quickly you grow. That, that will change, I think, change the dynamic from one in which every, the, the developing countries wait for the supply of uh, funds to come to one in, in which they're demanding the best way to improve their human capital. That's that, what we have to create. Take that
0: over to one country, again, Burma, Myanmar, as well. How does the World Bank, as this ginormous institution, how do you deal with one country, whether it's the border of Turkey and Syria or it's what we've seen over the last six
1: months in Myanmar? So we're very concerned about what's happening in Myanmar. I've issued a statement on it. And very specifically, what we're doing is we're, we're, we're continuing our lending for programs around health, education, social protection, and especially in Rakhine State. So we're very focused on supporting uh, the poor in Myanmar. But we had another operation, a major budget support operation, which we can't go forward with right now because mm-hmm. we're very concerned about what's what's happening there. And so we are working hand in glove with uh, with uh, Antonio Guterres, the uh, Secretary General, and uh, we want to make it clear that, uh, that that what is happening there is not acceptable. And so uh, we, while we continue to support health and education because we don't think we can lose ground we can't go forward with uh, with the budget support
0: help me with infrastructure it's been a buzzword I see McKinsey doing work on it and I see the World Economic Forum doing work on it but you guys and this goes back to my childhood you are the ultimate and original post-World War II infrastructure organization how do you approach modern infrastructure away from
1: creating fresh water of 30 and 40 years ago So the traditional approach has been that on the public sector side, we provide um, uh, loans uh, to which countries provide sovereign guarantees and we go forward with the infrastructure. On the uh, private sector side, we provide the loans Mm -hmm. to private sector companies. We're changing that practice in a pretty fundamental way because the real opportunity in the world, both for investors and for developing countries, is to get the 10 plus trillion in negative interest rate Mm. bonds, the 24 plus trillion in very low earning government bonds, and the 8 trillion in cash, sitting, you know, thousand euro bills sitting in people's uh, safes. Get that off the sideline by de-risking investments. And we're doing it in a lot of different ways. Sometimes we create debt instruments where we take uh, 10 percent first loss, Mm. and then the senior your tranche becomes triple right. B. Uh, we can do things like you know, provide political risk insurance if people are afraid that, that their company might be nationalized. Mm-hmm. We think if we can start bringing the sovereign wealth funds and the, and the pension funds off the sideline, right. this will be a huge new source of, uh, of, of investment capital. And we just signed an MOU with a Japanese pension fund, the largest pension fund in the world, so $1.4 trillion.
0: You, this is he's different than when he was at Dartmouth. He didn't know what an <laughs> MOU was.
1: I, is that an understanding thing? Oh, no. Thing? We, I, we knew MOU? what MOUs were but we didn't know what uh, right. a, a triple V uh, senior two trance more, was. <laughs>
0: two more questions. We've got to get this in. You parachuted into Iowa as a child. You are yes. the absolute walking personification of the success of modern immigration in America. How do you speak to a wall on the Mexican border? How do you speak to the new form of immigration debate in America?
1: Just to point out that of the great Fortune 100 companies of 30 years ago, 30% were started by immigrants or the the children of immigrants. Of the high tech companies uh, that have just dominated the US economy, 40% were started by immigrants or the children of immigrants. The majority of Nobel Prize winners, U.S. Nobel Prize winners, Mm -hmm. were born outside of the country. And last year, Mm -hmm. of the six Nobel Prize winners who were American citizens, all of them were born outside the country, as was I. So I think immigrants can play a huge role. And what we're trying to do is to change the narrative. Immigration is good. Japan needs immigrants. Korea desperately needs immigrants to fuel the next phase of their economic growth. Uh, We want to change that dialogue in a pretty fundamental way. You
0: look fresh and relaxed. You've had a wonderful 24 hours. Madame lagarde 's been a pinata with the trump administration they 're going after her on tax reform and other IMF like in, uh, initiatives
1: Defend madame lagarde right now I-
0: she 's doing it is she doing it right on poking into countries tax reform issues
1: let me just say this i have worked uh, so closely with christine lagarde for the last five years i think she's one of the great leaders in the world today she uh, has a way of dealing with very difficult situation with grace with clarity and i see no evidence that uh, that uh, this particular interaction will go in any different sort of way
0: No meeting more interesting this one over the last 24 hours, of controversy with the Trump administration. I want to go back to a speech you gave to the Economic Club of New York in 2013. You quoted the American economist Walt Whitman, keep your face always toward the sunshine and shadows will fall behind you. Have you felt that way in the last
2: 24 hours? I wish there was a bit of sunshine out here in Washington and there is no... Sunshine, but let let me just address this controversy, as you called it. Um, for few years now, we have repeatedly said that a tax reform was absolutely needed and necessary in the United States, in particular a corporate tax reform. And there is no doubt in my mind, and absolutely no ambiguity about that point. So. It's needed, necessary, we've called for it, and we welcome the decision to actually think about a tax reform that would make taxation simpler, that would reduce the loopholes and some many deductions, uh, that would be focused on labour activity, help the middle class, that would be pro-growth. And uh, I'm not going to pass judgment on the current draft, that will be for consideration by Congress. I've done my tax reform in my days as finance Mm -hmm. minister and I know what those, draft go, those drafts go through. They go through iteration, <clears throat> addendum, lobbying efforts. It's not the end of the day. And we
0: should make clear that Madame Lagarde not only as trade minister for the Republic of France, but then as finance minister as well as received every domestic headache you can yeah. on this. The nuance to me, and Olivier Blanchard came to your defense three days ago, and Jason Furman uh, came to your defense this morning, the former chairman of the I don't the need anybody Johnson. to
2: defend me. I can well, defend okay, myself. I know you can defend
0: yourself, <laughs> but they came to you they defended you as PhD economists on the theory, like the PhD economists here. The distinction to me is between the blue book and the green book and the red book of the IMF. The linkage of tax reform to fiscal responsibility. How does the IMF link constructive tax reform with the worldwide idea of getting our debt house in order?
2: Well, what, you know, needs to be done is. To look at the evidence, at the data, at the numbers, and then to determine policies on that basis, with in mind two things: the revenue, the spending, the political objective of being pro-growth, of wanting to improve the situation of the middle class, and of ultimately reducing excessive inequalities, if that is the case in that country. So that that's what needs to happen. But clearly. Uh, in those countries that have a heavy debt burden mm-hmm. and those that have entitlements coming to fruition that will probably increase uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, the spending, it is necessary to take into account that medium term and to make sure that any tax reform is revenue generating.
0: What is so important here is the tone of the IMF of a more optimistic world. Yeah. Obviously, the United Kingdom is off their game with the battle over Brexit and all that. And there's other serious issues within poor emerging markets. But you also marked down the U.S. because, am I right, the IMF is doubtful on successful tax reform uh, legislation in the short term?
2: We've actually marked up the U.S. economy compared with our July numbers. Uh, and then we've marked up a few other uh, countries, including advanced economies what we hope to see is uh, implementation of the reforms Mm -hmm. that we have called for for many years a good solid tax reform that will be simpler where rates particularly corporate rates will be lower with a base that is much more uh, solid and clear Mm -hmm. that's that's what we hope to see and and the you know the sooner it goes through the better let's encapsulate the last 24 hours and then move
0: on would you be willing to meet with the secretary of treasury or the president to clarify the IMF stance on this?
2: But I meet, I meet with, uh, with Secretary of Treasury on a regular basis. I will see him tonight. So well, I'll be see very, to, will this come course. up tonight? Please, get, I will be, let's get I will a be head start, be start on this right now. I'll be very happy <clears throat> to explain to him exactly what I have explained to you. It,
0: when you speak to Secretary Mnuchin tonight, what will, be, uh, what will you advocate that the Trump administration should do? What should they be their next step forward? in this
2: I would say based on the little experience I have of tax reforms Mm. resist lobbying efforts
0: resist lobbying efforts you heard it there Madame Lagarde will not be having a cigar tonight at the Willard Hotel in New York with the lobbyists of Washington (laughs) DC let us move on the fact is it's a more optimistic meeting if we look back 10 years of the financial crisis have we reached escape velocity on all the agony of the last 10 years
2: let's hope so but it's not guaranteed So while we have certainly a better growth and better growth forecast, 3.6% for this year, 3.7% for next year, it's not shared across the world. You still have about 25% of the world measured in GDP, which is not uh, enjoying that sort of stronger recovery. So while we see the sun shining, we're also seeing those clouds on the horizon and countries and people not having the benefit of it. So I think, you know, my message to the policymakers in the next few days, and they're all coming in as of today, will be take the decisive actions Mm -hmm. in order to secure that recovery and in order to make sure that people actually have the benefit of it.
0: I saw you in New York uh, with our John Micklethwaite, our editor-in-chief on the idea of advocating forward women uh, and and women's rights within the world economy. One of the overlays of that challenge is technology. How does the International Monetary Fund look at the future of technology and link it into a better equality across income and wealth?
2: Well, one, it is critically important to help young people, our children, grandchildren, whoever, to uh, get acquainted and fully adjusted to what is coming. That's reasonably easy if the budget is there. Mm -hmm. But it also should apply to those of us in advanced emerging and low-income countries to actually also uh, take ownership of those Mm -hmm. technologies because they will be disruptive. They will be changing the way in which we manufacture, the way in which we provide services, Mm -hmm. the way in which financial markets are organized as well. And what we do here at the IMF is try to anticipate From a financial stability point of view, what will be the impact of those fintechs, Mm -hmm. as we call them? We're seeing it. It's happening. What do you need from China?
0: They've got these incredibly important meetings coming up. We've heard interview after interview comparisons back 20 and 30 and 40 years to the federalism of Beijing. What do you need to come out of these important political meetings in China?
2: I certainly hope that they continue the reforms that they have started you know, reining in credit is a necessity. Reforming the state-owned enterprises is a necessity. Mm -hmm. Continuing to reduce capacity in certain sectors is a necessity. So we would very much hope that this will uh, Mm -hmm. be continued from an economic perspective. A a
0: little bit more here on Europe, if I could. What a tumult in Europe. We saw uh, the far right in Germany take a little bit of a, a popular vote to join the Bundestag in the last election. We see of this historic election in your France, and within it all, there seems to be almost a lift to the European economy. When you read the Blue Book, which I know you read cover to cover, the World Economic Outlook, when you read the World Economic Outlook, can you say Europe's reached escape velocity, that Europe is beyond eurosclerosis?
2: Europe will continue to go through episodes of uh, soul-searching and examining the future mm-hmm. and trying to restructure, consolidate. But I think there is an impetus, there is a momentum that has been created predominantly as a result of Emmanuel Macron's election in France and the hope that it has generated as opposed mm-hmm. to the fear that the other candidate would have would have induced. That things have to continue uh, to be stronger, better governed, Mm -hmm. uh, more of a political union, what form it takes is going to be debated between them. And there will be episodes, Tom, when you will despair of Europe. Right. And there will be moments when there will be huge hope. I think that that model is of a different kind and needs to to, to be structured, strengthened, and, and uh, must be one of the options available for those who are developing.
0: One final question. I want to circle back again to your April 2013 Economic Club of New York speech. You were way, way out front of the coming challenges of the United States of America politically. Just, is, is you, as a citizen of France, and with your work in Chicago years ago, How do you perceive the path forward for the people of America, given the turmoil of our politics right now?
2: You know, I owe a lot to this country. I came here when I was 17, shortly after my father's death. And I have only met hospitality, warmth, support, respect and tolerance. And I think that is deeply ingrained in the American spirit. And I have full trust that this is the real nature. Madame Magard,
0: thank you so much. Madame Lagarde of the International Monetary Fund. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Subscribe and listen to interviews on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or whichever podcast platform you prefer. I'm on Twitter at Tom Keen. David Gurra is at David Gura.